Hey y'all, this is Patty, Queen of the South. I just wanted to take a second to let y'all know how much Schedulicity has truly changed my life. Not only does it keep my clients involved and informed with everything going on through texts and emails, it also allows me to take payment using the app at a lower fee cost than any other app I've ever used. And as a family and a business, Schedulicity is truly there for you and really goes out of their way to make sure that you have exactly what you need to be successful as a business owner. And I mean, it just, it's beautiful energy, y'all. It's so nice to be around people who kind of get it, you know? And for that reason, I'm so grateful for Schedulicity and everything that they continue to do for me and my business. So if y'all have a second today, check out Schedulicity. Love and light, y'all. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone. My name is Jerry Natuno, and this amazing podcast is brought to you by Schedulicity. My name is Corey. Of course, it's my boy, Tony. What's up, man? What's going on, brother? Nothing, man. Hey, congratulations on the new babes. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, first grandson and uh, first grandchild, period. But uh-huh. uh, yeah, dude, it, it was a special, special weekend. It's a pretty crazy time, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, when I watched my wife delivering my children, you know, I was like, wow, I just had this huge, mad respect for women what they go through to bear children Ooh. and then when you watch you know because even though we weren't allowed in the hospital but my son-in-law set up like a FaceTime so we can see my daughter's face and then but when you watch your daughter in that kind of pain or in that kind of you know she pushed for three and a half hours did it it's just something that grips your heart and like oh my god yeah, come right. on please <laughs> you know and you pray like you know it's like oh you know it just it, it was brutal man but and then all of a sudden you hear this little whimper of a cry, and then you know, and then you felt this loud cry, right? And you get to see him on 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 you know through the phone. And it's like oh, it's something so special, crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it, it was it was unbelievable. Um, you know, I really appreciate my son-in-law, and my daughter, allowing us to be a part of that process, and uh, yeah, it was beautiful, man. That's so cool. Congratulations, man. Thank you, brother. That's very very awesome. Can't wait to meet the little fella. Uh, hopefully, here in the next day or so. Yeah. Um, well, I told, you're not quite there yet, but I told my daughter when she, uh, after she had her baby, I guess uh, you know he's like almost two now, right? But I told her that you know her only job, the only reason we had her was to have grandkids. So right. she wasn't really happy with me. She was pretty mad. So it's you know. funny though, because Grace and your grandson and then my grandson are two years apart, and then your daughter and my daughter are two years. Apart. I know it's crazy. Isn't yeah, it? it's crazy right. how that that all works out. So. And you're two years older than me, so that's awesome. Oh, you suck. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> hey, so, um, so, dude, today, man, is, I'm excited about our guest. So, um, uh, mad respects to uh, 
to Miss Mac because she uh, she set this uh, this 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 up. And then a couple weeks ago, we got to talk to him, just kind of get to know uh, our guest today off air. And I mean, from the moment that we cracked on on uh, on on the air with him, we we were excited to bring him back and talk to him and actually record. Oh my God! I mean, he is a true innovator in our industry. For those that don't know who he is, I mean, really kind of like learn about this guy. I mean, he's really has our best physical health in mind and, and phys- our physical, you know, just period in mind. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, and he, I mean, really, he is a pioneer, true innovator. And I, I don't know. He's an amazing, amazing man. Yeah. I can't wait to get into it. I'm hopefully people are tuning in to learn about him today because well, they're tuning in to learn about him. Right. Today. <laughs> so, exactly. so, Hey, so, um, so, uh, our guest today is Robert Reed. Robert Reed is, uh, he'll kind of give us his title, but, um, but the, the founder of, of Ergo Brushes, um, founder, CEO, owner, whatever. Ergo Research. Uh, oh, so it's not just, right, right, Ergo Research. So it's not just a brush, because they got, they got some pretty cool t- other tools that we're going to talk about today too, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Ergo started off as a research company, right? So, but it's, uh, it's pretty amazing how he's trying to innovate tools to benefit our physical uh, ailments in our industry. Love it. He's uh, walking the walk, right? 100%. Should we get in? Yeah. Let's do it. So, Mr. Robert Reed, welcome to your day off. Gentlemen, it's great to be with you. Thanks, man. We, uh, Like I said, there was no lie, man. When we talked to you a couple weeks ago, we were mega excited to, uh, to kind of bring you back on air and kind of get your story and, and kind of find out what, what, what Ergo Research is up to. Well, I told you just a little while ago how excited I was to hang out with people, hang out with you, and speak about our industry because I got into our industry by hanging out with people who were excited about it, people who just couldn't get enough of enough uh, hair. They, you know, I was in the radio industry in the early 70s, and my clients, the people that I met in the hair industry, would be having hair cutting parties going into early morning hours. And of course, in the 70s, all sorts of other things were going on, but um, their excitement inspired me to explore this industry. And I'm happy that they got me there. Yeah, like I guess 70s with sex rock, uh, sex drugs, sex, and rock rock and rock and roll, roll, yeah. sex hair and rock and roll. I don't know, I don't know nothing. So, so you found the industry through, um, what were you doing at the radio station? Coming out of high school, I had aspirations to be a rock singer. Uh, then I discovered I didn't have what, I didn't have the golden voice. So I began to promote concerts and I worked with a local radio station in Long Beach, California. It's called KNAC. It was the hot rock station in Southern California at the time. And I produced uh, my first rock concert with uh, the Doobie Brothers and Elvin Bishop when I was 19. Wow. Uh, not knowing much about business, but having a lot of passion, uh, I passioned my way into losing a lot of money. <laughs> so um, I ended up going to work for the radio station, doing a show from midnight to 6 a.m. and selling ad time to pay off my losses to them. Oh, and at the same time, I heard a radio commercial on another station about uh, getting a haircut at a place called Fine Arts Haircutting, and it was a rock and roll haircutting studio that offered all the wine you could drink 
So I thought, what a perfect combination. Went and got my hair cut. Uh, it fell into place so beautifully. I was very excited about it. But I was a starving radio artist and couldn't afford to get my hair cut there but that one time. So I went out looking for a client that I could do a trade out for, uh, producing and appearing in their radio spots. And these people uh, took me to a hair show. It was very exciting. Uh, I had the opportunity to work with them on platform because they were great hair cutters but weren't great speakers. So when I was, uh, as, uh, when I was their spokesperson, uh, there was a gentleman in the audience, a legend in our industry, though many of the younger hairdressers today might not know him. His name was Jerry Redding. Many people consider, consider him the godfather of protein for hair. And he had just started a new company called Germac. And this company had three products. And he said, you know, I really like your style. You should join the hair industry. So I thought about it. Uh, didn't take too long to think about it because I was, as I said, a starving radio artist and um, making about $100 a week. So I became their representative for Southern California, or one of their representatives. So, so did you end up paying your debt back to the radio station before you left? I, I did because it was a lesson from my father that men paid their bills. Good so uh, over a course of two years there, I paid back about $10,000 that I had owed them for the radio advertising for that first concert. And incidentally, uh, the check that I paid to the Doobie Brothers for uh, playing at the Long Beach Auditorium was $750. No way. Wow. <laughs> and it's funny how things work because uh, one of the people that works on my team, Brock Goldberg, his wife, Alyssa, her uncle is Michael McDonald. So that's a funny way of tying things together. That's so cool, man. Have you, have you ever had the conversation with him? I have not ever had the opportunity to meet him, but um, they, they did try to get more than $750 after that event. But uh, <laughs> you, you, you can't squeeze a rock. <laughs> right. But it, again. It, was, it was a good lesson I learned from my father that men paid their bills. And um, it, it led me into the opportunity of joining this fantastic industry. So, so you took the job with Redding, but, or Jermac, how, that's quick. I mean, here you are, at a, you know, still working at the radio station. You're able to pay back your debt in two years. You start helping the salon. Next thing you know, you're, you're with, with a legend. Well, I was with a legend, but I was at the very bottom of uh, the pile, so to speak, uh, because I was just a sales representative. My territory was Orange County, which at that time, I was the only representative for 6,000 salons. Wow. So I was given what was called the Thomas Guidebook map. Uh, this was a, a map that you would hold in your hands. It was a precursor of MapQuest and everything else that you would find locations for salons and I just drove from street to street in areas that looked good and walked into salons and presented the first three products that this company had so it was in its infancy wow hey so uh so 
it sounds like um, like right now when we get visits, they're all from distributors and stuff. So it sounds like there were no distributors, right? So you were working directly for, for the brand? Well, there were distributors then too. So I worked for the Southern California distributors. So you're right. Um, at that time, it was very traditional. Someone walked in the door. They introduced themselves. They introduced the opportunity. Uh, they kind of, like, it's like running for mayor. You would shake hands and kiss babies. And that's how you... <laughs> Uh, introduced a new brand. So there were <clears throat> three products in the collection eventually went into uh, health and um, nutrition. And Jerry Redding was an amazing man. He started many companies, including Redken, uh, Jerry Redding products, one of the first protein products in the late 50s, early 60s. And then finally, Nexus was his his swan song. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, Many yeah, I certainly... I, I know uh, Jerry Redding from, you know, from, you know, the Redken, um, from when he, from when he started Redken. So that, that's where the name is familiar to me. So he was really dancing on both aisles, right? On both sides of the, uh, I mean, as far as a businessman, it's, it's brilliant, right? I mean, here you are, you got a professional product and you have uh, on the other side, a drugstore product. Right. I mean, yeah. You know, a lot well, of people ended up. Yeah. yeah. He, he was not doing both concurrently at the same time. But he was dancing the aisles because he had the uh, science of hair care. There was a lot of custom formulation using elements like magnesium and essential fatty acids and vitamin C. At the same time, he was a strong proponent of hairdresser's health. So he was selling protein powders and nutritional supplements, but he was an amazing person because he saw the big picture. That's awesome. How long, how long were you with um? How long were you with them? I was with Jermac for about four years. Uh, I zigged and zagged my way into a regional manager position overseeing 13 Western states. I would get in my car and I would drive my entire territory, uh, with the exception of Hawaii, because uh, you can't really drive there. But uh, I drove, visited salons, all day long, would visit beauty schools in the morning, do a little uh, product knowledge, visit salons, train sales consultants, and end my day and drive to the next town. So I was on the road generally about three months at a time before coming home. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, you've, seen, you've seen guys like me with a little pole in the back of their car holding all their clothes. That was me. <laughs> exactly. But it's a great experience because I had uh, the opportunity to practice my chops and make sure that I understood uh, the, the deep meaning of what I was presenting and mm -hmm. presenting it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in salons throughout the United States. I learned uh, visiting salons is way to, the way to understand what the needs are and what's going on. That's so smart. So you were like 25 when you were doing this? That's about right. That's about right. Wow. It just shows you, like, you, if you, I mean, you give it your all that, you know, you, I mean, within four years, you're here, you are, you know, governing 13 Western states, you know what I mean? From not even being in the industry at all. Right. Right. It's, that's pretty impressive when you, when you give 100%, you get totally your whole self into this, you know, you can achieve anything. Yeah, no doubt. It, it, Western states are big states too, right? Yeah. <laughs> like big states with not many rooms. 
Right, so like Maryland, Delaware, <laughs> Rhode Island, <laughs> Connecticut, New York, you know what I mean? <laughs> you can drive to them in kind of an afternoon. <laughs> yeah, we can drive to all 13 states up north <laughs> in Pretty one much. day. Exactly. <laughs> so those are huge states, man. That's so crazy. So what, uh, where'd, you get, where'd you end up from there? Uh, in 1976, I had spoken with Mrs. Redding, who was in charge of all personnel, as almost everyone that I reported to had suddenly left the company in a period of about 30 days. So not having anyone to report to, but with a lot to report, because I was learning every day, I went to Mrs. Redding and asked her uh, if I could continue what I was doing with a focus, though, starting to begin on the consumer side. On the consumer side. And to continue, uh, I asked for a 10% salary increase, which was $80 a month, because I was staying in two apartments, one in Portland and one in Anaheim, California, and I needed the extra money to be able to fund those two apartments. And uh, unfortunately, she told me that I wasn't going to be needed anymore in the company. So with that, I went to visit some friends of mine who I used to report to, uh, Dick Cornfield, Jamie Mazzotta, and Gary Smith, who are the founders of... I'm sorry. She she fired you or let you go because of you asked for $80 extra a month? That's correct. And there's a funny story that wraps that up, which I'll share with you a little bit later. But... Uh, I went to visit my friends in an old ice factory in Redding, California, and they had just started a company called KMS. So when I walked in the building, uh, they were sitting uh, on the single table that was the single furnishing in the room. And they said, Reed, we knew you'd be back. We started a new company, and we would like you to be our first distributor. So I became the first KMS distributor in the world in Southern California for Los Angeles and Orange County and uh, ran that company with a focus on chemistry, of course, because that was uh, the basis of the KMS products at the time called nucleoproteins and started some of our first uh, education. We used to have Wednesdays with assistants at my apartment building in the community room. On Wednesday nights, I would host uh, a a class for assistants in Southern California. We would have a buffet. So we would give the assistants a little bit of food for their belly and a little bit of inspiration in their head by sharing with them some leaders in our industry and their thinking. So we had some really brilliant uh, presenters at that time, Sam Lappin, who was the founder of Lappinall and developed Redkin hair coloring, and Henri Masté, who had created some of the first toners called Instantane. And so that was great. We built the company based upon uh, prescribing hair care products at the station. We had the first prescription pads. Uh, we did lots of consumer approach we were in department store salons. So on Saturdays, I would do uh, consultations in my white uh, lab coat and speak to <laughs> consumers about their hair care and then just give them a prescription, which they would take immediately into the salon. So that was all going great, except uh, in about 1978, we started to have what was called then diversion. So 
KMS products were showing up in the wrong place. And that was, at that time, those beauty supply stores. We wanted to have an exclusive professional brand, but it was showing up in these stores. So, I don't know, maybe it was a rebel in me, but I began to visit those beauty supply stores and buy up everything that they had on their shelves. And then I would rapidly go to the bank and stop payment on the check. <laughs> so that was pretty successful for about two months until at one of the banks that I went to stop the check, the beauty supply owner followed me with a policeman and I got arrested. Oh no. So I talked my way out of the back of the car, uh, expressing to the policeman that, you know, this was really a civil matter, not a criminal matter. And I got back uh, to the office, very disgusted. And I told my partner, I'm out. And I decided to sell my business to my partner and get involved in consumer goods because I had started to have some creative thinking about you know, what would it be like just to take 1% of a billion dollar segment of the industry. Right. And a couple of industries I thought about were the detergent industry because I was having thoughts about fragranced detergents and softener sheets. And I had a concept of spring, summer, fall, and winter fragrances with corresponding softener sheets. I thought that was a brilliant idea. Just, you know, take 1% of that market and I'd be a happy boy. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, but I didn't know how to put it all together. I had a great idea, just didn't know how to, I was only 28, 27, didn't know how to pull all the strings together to make it into something real. So I started to dabble in something else, which was oral hygiene. I figured the world needed another toothpaste, but this time. <laughs> Apparently he's never been down the uh, toothpaste aisle. <laughs> but this time I thought, you know, let's do one that's different. Let's do one that eliminates the problem of the wife always telling the husband, put the cap back on the tube. So we developed a dispensing toothpaste and a formula that had vitamin enhancements because the number one issue then and today in oral hygiene is pyorrhea or bleeding gums. So I began to work with some contacts that I just met over the phone at USC Dental, uh, the university over there, and started to develop some vitamin E and vitamin K, which is a, a coagulant. It would help stop bleeding gums. And I put it all together, uh, added some unique tastes to it. So we had blueberry, we had cherry, we had strawberry, and um, I put together a storyboard for this product, which I was very excited about. And I went around in the professional industry to try to sell it to someone. Because I figured in the salons it would be perfect. No competition. No one else was selling anything like it. And I got turned down everywhere. You didn't try to take it to a, like a big tooth, toothpaste brand? Uh, well, I guess uh, the answer was I did have an agreement with Revlon, which was pretty large at that time in the cosmetic industry. But unfortunately, uh, the, the week before I was to fly out to see them, the president uh, died while jogging in Central Park. He had a heart attack. So that just put the kibosh on that. But coincidentally, at the same time, I saw a commercial on television 
that revolved around, if you don't look good, we don't look good. <laughs> we know that guy. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, this would be perfect for Fidel. So I put together a storyboard that revolved around a tennis game with eventually uh, the woman being the winner of this tennis match and reaching over and shaking the hands of the person that she had demolished with a great smile. So I put together that storyboard. I uh, called 411, which is how we used to get everyone's phone number, right. and asked for the phone number of Vidal Sassoon. Um, so they gave me the phone number, and I called up, and I said, hello, uh, it's Robert Reed calling. I'm calling to speak with Vidal. And they said, well, Vidal doesn't work here anymore. He works in our Century City offices. Oh, may I have that phone number? And they gave me the number. And I called up and I said, hi, it's Robert Reed calling for Fidel. And they said, well, Fidel's out of the office. Would you like to speak with his partner? I said, well, sure. And the phone answered and he said, hello, it's Don Sullivan. I said, hey, Don, it's Robert Reed. How have you been? And he said, I've been great. How about you? I said, fantastic. <laughs> Look how easy it was for him to get the number there to the, to, you know what I mean, to the to high up. Even with modern technology, I think it's harder to get get a hold of people now today than it was back then. Yeah, well, I, yes and no, because I mean, we 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 almost reached out to everybody on the podcast through Instagram. I mean, Instagram is just the new is just the communication thing. Four one one. That's it. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so you can choose to ignore it, which a lot of people do too. But you know, for the people that we've reached, we we've, we've reached with them through Instagram. But you're right, as far as phone numbers, like maybe it's because it's a cell phone, you know. Yeah, I don't know. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. That's that's kind of funny, actually. It's ballsy, <laughs> is what it is. Yeah. Well, I came to learn that uh, Don was a little bit. Um, well, he was a free thinker, so he thought he knew me, and so I continued and said, "Hey, Don, I've got an idea for a new product for Vidal." Um, with a new toothpaste. And he said, a what? I said, a new toothpaste. He said, well, why don't you come on in and let's talk about it. So I went to see him the next day and uh, presented my storyboard and my samples. You know, seeing a toothpaste in a pump was quite unusual. And Don said, I love this. Let's do this. So I was so excited until he then said, but. Big but. Our board of directors just decided yesterday to start a brand new company because the brown line, which represented the Vidal Sassoon products, which were all in brown bottles with silver foil VS emblazoned on the front of them, had decided to go into the retail market and they needed a new professional product. And they were going to call it Don Sullivan, the professional division of Vidal Sassoon. So Don said, you know, we're going to start this new company. What would you think about joining me in creating this new product? Wait a sec. So you went from like uh, pitching this dude one day and the next day working for him? It was almost that fast. Holy cow. I need to make more phone calls. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like he, he calls up uh, uh, a dental uh I'm not going to say hygienist, but somebody in USC, they're like, hey, okay, yeah, let's work on this product. <laughs> Calls this guy up. Sure, come on in. Let's work on, you know, come to hair shows with me. Call this like, oh, yeah, come on. Come meet, meet out so soon. And it just, I mean, it seems like you have 
like a four leaf clover, uh, Lucky's rabbit foot, uh, horseshoe. I, I, I think he's just the ultimate pitch man, you know. So I think we need to go have dinner with him so we can pick up some pitch advice, right? Well, in fact, I'm a blessed person. I have a, a great life and good fortune. And, you know, you make your own opportunities. So you have to reach out. You have to have a vision before you do. You have to be able to speak well for yourself and share your vision. So Don loved my vision, uh, but he ended up being the better salesman because he sold me on joining his company. He asked me, you know, at that time, Fidel Sassoon products were in Century City, which is uh, just on the outskirts of Beverly Hills. And he asked me, um, how do you like this office? I said, oh, it's nice. He said, how, it was very nice. It had 20 foot ceilings, overlooked. Wow. Um, Santa Monica Bay had big palm trees in the office and it was probably 30 by 40. It was a large office. So I said, how do you like this office? I said, it's great. He said, I'll split it with you. We'll uh, create some separators and you'll be on one side. I'll be on the other side. We'll be able to open up the doors, have our meetings and just really be, you know, a tight team. That's fantastic. So uh, I joined him the next week, and uh, I remember pulling up in my, I guess it was a 72 Honda Civic uh, that had a little crash in the back, and I pulled into the valet parking, and Don happened to be down there, and he said, uh, oh, this is just not going to do. All the vice presidents here I'll drive Mercedes, so we're going to have to get you a Mercedes. I said, that's fantastic. And he said, and of course, we'll have to provide you with a clothing allowance because everyone here has to look like they're successful. So the company was, you know, Don was very generous, Vidal was very benevolent, and we created this new product that was the first silk protein at that time. So every woman always wanted hair that looked and felt like silk. So we invited in protein manufacturers uh, and we eventually settled upon creating a new form of protein from cocoons. So we developed a unique method of hydrolyzing or liquefied the silk cocoons into an application on the hair and for the skin. And we introduced this new product range in 1978. And it was very, very successful. I totally remember that, too. That's well, so yeah, cool. a pretty cool tw- 20. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> it, it was, that was, that's pretty amazing. Here you are, you know, creating products. And that's what I was saying, he, you know, such an innovator, right? Mm-hmm. Even, even at 19, he trying to create a produce his own concert right, right. with with big brands like the doobie brothers i mean he, you know what i mean even though you know he might have lost money but he there was such a, a valuable lesson there he i'm sure well, it's he, not like he lost it. a lot of money in the 20s yeah <laughs> you know, so but you know but that that's that that's the learning curve right that's that, that, that that's how we learn yeah i mean then, then he went he's constantly you know just even though he didn't get the the the, the detergent uh or the the fabric you know the tooth Toothpaste will come back to because I don't know, you know, do they hold up more story? I know, yeah. right? 
but uh, you know, he's constantly in, in, in innovating, creating, and you know, it's, it's pretty cool that now here you are, you know, created the first silk protein uh, through Cocoon, uh, I guess, Web or Nest or that's, yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm just in awe, you know what I mean? So go ahead. Thank I'm sorry. Well, we were having fun and, of course, working within that environment. It was like working in rock and roll. Uh, such a, um, there were no boundaries to what we could do. So we thought everything was possible. Uh, at Don Sullivan, we created some of the first in-salon sampling programs. So we created what we called uh, triple packs, which was a shampoo, a protein conditioner, and a finishing rinse. And we started some of the first consumer advertising. Uh, we had a strategy of how to build upon and create a formula of consumer awareness. What we would do first is we would have billboards show up in a city that had Don Sullivan products available in salons. And we would then have radio advertisements that would begin on a Wednesday pointing people to our Sunday advertisements where there would be a coupon that was worth $10 to be taken into a salon for free hair consultation and a triple pack with worth $10. So we started this radio advertising, billboards, newspaper sampling, couponing, and on average, it was so successful most salons had at least 100 new customers. So we knew that came and sat in their chair. Wow. Of course, put, putting a tushy in a chair is still a great objective today. But we were able to accomplish that. Wow. That's really smart, right? Yeah. How many people did you guys have working for your team? We had a, a, a tight team. I, I believe at that time we had about eight people on our team. Plus, we sold through leading family-owned distributors, which is, again, how products got out into the marketplace then. And uh, it was very exciting uh, to do that, to innovate in that way, to have some of the first consumer advertising. It was, it was all so exciting. And Vidal was, I have to say, he was very benevolent, but he also allowed and fostered creative thinking. When I first asked for the budget in 1978 of half a million dollars to launch this brand, which in today's dollars might be near three million. Right. Uh, Fidel just very simply, after my presentation, asked me, Robert, is this something that you firmly believe in? I said, yes. He said, Robert, is this something that you can accept full responsibility for? I said, yes. He said, then you really never have to ask me again. Wow. So I tell my own team today, you can do anything you want as long as you're willing to be responsible for its outcome. Wow. That's so awesome. That, yeah, that's profound. That, that's pretty amazing. So the end of that dream for me was in 1981 when the company, meaning Fidel Sassoon, was sold to Richardson Vicks a brand that was large then, but people may not be familiar with it. I don't believe it even exists today. So I was looking for a job. I had the opportunity to move to Cincinnati and work for Richardson Vicks, but um, having been from 
Cleveland and now living in Southern California, you know, maybe one of the most beautiful places to live. I didn't want to go back to Cleveland, uh, to Cincinnati. <laughs> so I was looking for a job and I went to uh, a friend of mine, Tony Beckerman, and asked him, you know, what could I do next? He said, you know, one thing that hairdressers are underserved and underinspired with is their scissors because they're never the same after they're sharpened. But I know of this brand. I received, he said, I received a pair that are in this handmade wooden box and they're really quite amazing. You should look into this company. So this company uh, had just started in the United States. It was called Hikari. So I went down and uh, spoke with the father and son who are the owners of the company and um, sold my way into becoming their representative uh, for Canada at that time. And uh, after two years in the company being their sales manager, I became the president. And that was 1984. <laughs> Holy cow, that's so crazy. Um, what, uh, Hikari, so are they a Japanese company or they just use Japanese steel? That's a great question, Corey, because there is a lot of confusion today about the difference between the two. Hikari scissors are made in Japan. And of course, they're made of all Japanese steel unique to them in their metallurgical composition. You know, metallurg metallurgical composition is important because just like playing a violin, uh, the metallurgical resonance of a blade as it cuts through hair fiber gives you a unique sensation. So based upon the composition, the crunchier it might feel or the softer, more mellow it might feel as it cuts through the hair. So uh, at that time, uh, Hikari scissors were about $99. And that was about twice as much as any other scissor on the market. But oh, we wow. made them worth it, uh, creating, for me, uh, a, a core ideal that I followed to this day. It wasn't what something was worth. It wasn't what something cost. It's what it was worth. So what Tony had mentioned to me that scissors never felt the same after they had been sharpened was something we focused on at Hikari. Uh, one of the partners became trained from the factory in being able to recreate all of the geometry of the blade edge exactly as it had been when the scissors were first produced. So that meant someone could have a pair of scissors and own them for a long time and have them perform exactly as they did out of the box. So we started to have some fun with this uh, in doing demonstrations and understanding the metallurgical properties of the metal, uh, meaning its flexibility, uh, its ability to be recreated as new. Many of the demonstrations that I did in front of an audience were shocking. I would take scissors and I would throw them against a wall. And then we would recreate them in front of the audience's eyes. So in did, you one, bring, did you bring a whole kit with you, like a sharpening kit? Or did you have somebody to yeah, come we, with you? To... We would travel with everything necessary, all of the equipment, 
to recreate the scissors as new. It was one of our strategies uh, in creating lifelong customers at trade shows, we would send out, before the trade show, we'd send out a postcard and would mm -hmm. remind people that at our exhibit, they could bring their scissors and drop them off at the show on the show floor first and then go to the show and come back and pick them up. Genius. That whole strategy was based upon not only wanting to serve, but just like when you drop off your car and you have it surfaced, what do you do? You walk around the showroom floor and you look for your next car. So we knew that people would come back and they would shop again, but it developed allegiance, which is so hard to do. And uh, the trust in us being able to recreate their scissors uh, blade just as it had been when it was new out of the box. So typically, a uh, hairdresser then would own one pair of scissors from this company, one pair of scissors from this company, but at Hikari, we created lifelong customers and people would first purchase this one, then they would purchase a backup. So they would be able to have their preferred scissor when their other scissor went in for service, and then they would purchase a third uh, scissor, then they'd purchase a fourth. And wherever we traveled, whether it was Alaska or Newfoundland, Hairdressers always appreciate excellence when they hold it in their hand. They know the difference. And in creating that promise of being able to deliver upon the surface, the hairdresser is able to place their faith in us. When, uh, yeah, when we went to hair school, um, we went to Graham Webb, and we were fortunate enough to start off with Hikari. They gave us Hikaris. I have three or four pairs of Hikaris now, and um, it, I mean, when you, like you said, you threw it against a wall and then you're going to sharpen it to show that you guys can do that. I mean, every time you drop your shears, your heart sinks. You're like, you take a breath. I'll even sometimes sacrifice my foot, put my foot underneath of it to help break the fall so it doesn't hit the ground. Cause you know, you don't want to get that chip, but that's, I mean, that is brilliant because I mean, I, I've been satisfied with every pair of Hikaris I've ever had. It, it is, it's kind of crazy how I, I just feel uh, uh, honored that we were actually issued, you know, Hikari shears. And, and, you know, though, Robert, uh, so we were issued Hikari shears in the early nineties. And if I remember correctly, they were still four or $500 then. So, you know, how, how'd they go up 400% in, in, in 10 years? Well, that's a basis of the U S dollar and the yen relationship. So it just so happened in the late eighties, early nineties, the yen became very strong and the dollar became very weak. It was unfortunate. Every time we increased the revenue of the company, meaning the total sales, we didn't realize much in the bottom line or profitability because the dollar had dropped. Right. Hmm. Wow. And then even, even if, the, if the dollar became stronger, I guess, then whatever, I mean, we're like, well, you're not going to lower the prices. <laughs> right, exactly. So that led us in uh, 1992 to try to overcome that, to create scissors in the United States. And the strategy for this was to um, use the blade compositions uh, that were suitable for a starter in our industry 
and to produce them in the United States. So we had four genes made at a company, a factory in Ohio, uh, sent to Gardena, California, where we shaped them and joined them to the handles and created a new scissor collection called Indica. And I love that name. Uh, of course, there's a, like, Indica also is a form of Jamaican weed. Uh, <laughs> so I, the old rock and roll guy. <laughs> yeah, so I loved, I loved it even more. But the whole idea here was based upon a new company that was called Lexus, which had just been introduced. And Lexus sold uh, certified automobiles. Mm-hmm. So the idea behind Indica was to create a pair of scissors that would once again get us into that $100 take-home price range. And through our ability to recondition that scissor, just like new, we would offer that scissor for uh, $100, and it could be traded in any time during the first year for 100% value toward another purchase of a pair of new Cosmos or a higher-priced scissor. We would then take that indica and we'd recondition it and we would sell it into the student market and we would sell it as previously loved. So we didn't sell it as new, we sell it as, sold it as certified. And it was one great way for us to build our business and create new users and bring them into uh, you know, owning excellence. We, we had Cosmos, right? Isn't mm-hmm. that what we were issued? Yep. Yeah. So yeah, that, that, those were the, the, the Cosmos was the one that we were sharing. We didn't get the uh, we didn't get the previously loved ones. Yeah. We got the OGs, right. the original ones. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's so crazy. I mean, that the, you know, just all real talk now. Like the scissor game is crazy right now, right? I mean, like shears are so expensive. We've seen shears as much as you know, almost two grand now, right? So it's so crazy that um how that market has just. I can't believe that they were. I, like Robert was saying, I can't believe, you know, just a few years ago, they were a hundred bucks, you know, and now, uh, I guess that was 30 years ago. Uh, maybe I'm just old, but you know, it just seems, it's just like, it's just a whole new market that, that probably wasn't there before, you know? Right. So, 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 so now you're making the, the scissors here in, in Ohio and you're the president of the company. Uh, so are you in charge of all decision-making or were you the one that, innovated that idea with the schools, the certified scissors, and I mean. Oh yes, I was, uh, I was boundless in my creative thinking at the time. It was really a, a great era. Um, so, well, the answer is yes, but we had a great team that could back me up, especially in, the, in that realm of service. So one of my last thoughts to share with your audience in regard to scissors, an investment in a great pair of scissors is only as valuable as your seller's ability to recreate them as new for you. And if you experience anything less, then you don't want to make that investment with that company again. So there are very few people who have that uh, service credibility and service commitment to excellence because there is uh, a great difference between perfect and anything else mm. well good said. call well said i mean you still have your cars after 25 years right yeah so that's pretty cool yeah i still have my original pair from school and 
they still cut pretty good. You know, they, they cut fantastic, actually. Nice little bobs and, you know, yeah. So That's pretty cool. Anyway. All, yeah, yeah. So what, um, so how long were you with Hikari? I was with Hikari for about a dozen years. About a dozen wow. years. And as I shared with you in our original call, I think, I was really looking for even greater purpose. Uh, of course, it was great to sell the best brand of scissors in the world and be able to fulfill our promise of perfection after service. But I knew there was something more. And one day in Chicago at the end of the Midwest Beauty Show, now called America's Beauty Show, at the very end of the show, someone tapped me on the shoulder and asked me, could I speak with you? And so I said, sure. Uh, and we went off to the side and he said, I was, I was wondering if you could help me fulfill a dream. I said, what? He said, I uh, would like to be able to cut the hair of my sister at her wedding, but I was involved in a fire and he showed me his hand and his three fingers, the pinky finger, the ring finger, and what I call the driving finger, which is the middle finger. <laughs> these three fingers through his exposure to the fire had fused together so they wouldn't fit in a common pair of scissors so he asked me would you please help me create a handle for the scissors so I could cut my sister's hair for her wedding and I started to dabble I thought wow that would be a great challenge so we started uh, dipping handles in different types of plastic substances and trying to mold them to be able to fit his fingers. And um, I thought, wow, this is really so fulfilling to be able to help someone do what they love, get back to doing what they love, that I had to uh, find out more about it. So I began to consult with some micro hand surgeons to understand how the hand worked and the hand is amazing in its mm -hmm. dexterity but it's very intricate and for hairdressers you know god didn't make the hand to perform these functions of moving the thumb up and down tens of thousands of times so i began to explore this new field called ergonomics and ergonomics, you know, it's a word tossed around a lot, but the simplest definition is ergonomics is the relationship between your body, your tools, and the workplace. So it's everything from the floor to the ceiling. It's how far you have to reach for something, how many steps you take. Ergonomics can actually also be related to sound or the environment of sound. So I began to explore that, got very excited about it, and told my partners, I think this would be great for us to get involved in. They weren't so excited as I was. And we decided, they, they made an offer to me to acquire Hikari so that I could pursue this passion. They would keep the manufacturing and service aspects of the company and I would take over the brand. And over the course of a year, we had these discussions. We finished the deal, um, but in our contract discussions, 
to finalize the passing of assets. We had a conflict and they fired me in 94. <laughs> 94 without a job. So, I I wasn't 94 and out of a job, but I was about 44 and out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> that hurts pretty good too. It seems like you you climb the ladder, you climb the ladder, you climb the ladder, and then they're like, "All right, you gotta go, you gotta <laughs> Time go. To go, you gotta go." Time to go. But I had this passion about ergonomics, and that's how ergo research began. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a, that's what we're going to ask you about. How did that all got started? Because that's kind of like what attracted us to you. Well, it got started when I received my first contract working with Supercuts, where they do a, you know, a, a high volume of haircuts, to work with some of their stylists who had become injured on the job through repetitive motion. Mainly, they developed tendonitis, and through improper positioning of their wrist, they developed ten, uh, pardon me, carpal tunnel, an inflammation of the carpal tunnel. So I began working with Supercuts and their insurance company, which is called Fireman's Fund, to help stylists who were on the borderline of not being able to work anymore. They'd become injured to rehabilitate them through an understanding of positioning and the tools that they were using, uh, as well as the servicing of the tools. So I received a contract from them that included the training the purchase of the scissor and the service of the scissor. So we were able to take hairdressers who were injured through this repetitive motion. They were in pain and help them get back to doing what they love. That's awesome. That's amazing. That is amazing. And, and that it was done on like uh, with ergonomics, right? Cause, right. Cause a lot of time when you hear ergonomics and, and like Robert was saying, it's a, it's a word that gets thrown out there so often that it almost has lost meaning, you know, but, but here's like real test cases where, 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 you know, um, addressing or uh, addressing and assessing the ergonomic um, actually saved, saved some careers and stuff. That, that's pretty awesome. That's cool. So this led me to an insurance company to back you up. Yeah, well, they definitely want you to back them up. They don't want to pay. Well, this, this was also one of the solutions to the falling dollar because I needed a customer who would be willing to pay premium price. So the insurance company who had an average uh, rehabilitation cost of about $18,000 to get a hairdresser back to work was more than anxious to fund this rehabilitation, training, the tool, and the service on the tool. That's genius. You know, that's so great. So when did, so, you know, when did, when did you move into, um, you know, the uh, Ergo Research and, and into the brush game? Well, we founded Ergo Research. I founded it with my, my wife, Marlene, in 1994. We began it exclusively as a research company to provide that training and to uh, present studies about consumer and stylist interaction and so on. So we started that in 94. Uh, by 1990. Six, we realized that our customers didn't really want to pay for this information. They wanted to purchase the tools and receive the training to support them as a value add. So our company began to evolve from exclusively a research and training company into a styling tool company. 
and we introduced some ergo scissors in mid-1996. By the way, we just uh, discovered uh, a cache uh, of about 13 pair of ergo scissors, 13 of our blending scissors this past weekend while doing a little cleanup in our warehouse. So look on our Instagram sometime soon for a giveaway for those. It's going to be a lot of fun. And the company evolved in uh, 1999 when I was visiting uh, South Korea to our scissor factory. I saw these things. uh, They looked like unique irons. And they had a variety of different shapes and widths. And uh, they were flat irons. And they were in these different shapes. uh, Half inch, half inch round, meaning one side was convex, one side was concave for creating curls and a one inch plate. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is exciting because hair's becoming smooth. So from, from about 99 through 2000, I took these ideas of flat irons to almost every major manufacturer, shared them with their artistic teams. Everybody got super excited, but none of the marketing companies, marketing divisions could pull the trigger. So in 2001, Ergo uh, produced our first 50 flat irons. And they were in absolutely the world's ugliest packaging. (laughs) (laughs) The the packaging said on the outside, uh, Hollywood's true secret. And uh, we introduced uh, a one inch flat iron. Our first production was 50 pieces. Then it got larger and larger and larger. Then we introduced a half-inch mini flat iron for getting closer to the head. Then we introduced what we called the Ergo Half Round, which was a half-inch convex, concave iron design. And then our first mini crimping iron in 2003. And the company just evolved into the styling tool category. Well, Robert, you know, I want to, um, like, when we when we started off in the industry in the early 90s, you know, one of the big problems that I had, um, particularly with, like, natural bristle brushes, was that the handle was so small that, and I don't know if it's because we're guys or, or if, they were, if, they were, if they were designed more for women, but I just, it, 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 I would get so fatigued because the handles were so small, and I was always looking for something with a little bit more, like, grip to it. You know, and 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 I and I felt like I had more control, and I I had to use less like, you know, tedious kind of, because you're using like small muscles, especially with the big round brushes, to you know, to create tension, and it it just became it became brutal on my hands and my wrists, and I was you know I was super young then. In my studies with the micro hand surgeons, I learned that everything about hairdressing is picking up something and gripping it and squeezing it and rotation of the wrist. So I began to think about uh, the most commonly used tools in a salon, which is the brush. And almost every brush was made of some substrate or hard material like a wooden handle or a plastic handle. And when your hands are wet or slippery, it's human nature to grip something harder. So uh, this gripping contributes to tendonitis or an inflammation of the tendons. Uh, which leads to tingling of the fingertips. So I started to explore different surfaces and different handle designs going back 50 years. And it seemed as though every handle was 
of a hard material and every handle was really too narrow or too skinny, and especially in the places where the, the thumb would find its place, which is close to the bottom of the barrel holder. So um, we started to explore with different materials, uh, some of them first polypropylenes and then into some different rubbers. But we finally uh, discovered a, this ability to shape silicone and so in the creation of our first brushes, which were available, uh, Sarah Mack, in fact, had some of our original brushes, which became available around 2005. Uh, they were also probably the world's ugliest brushes. Uh, they were <laughs> purple barrels and gray handles. But it was a, the beginning, the germination of the idea of texture and control in the handle. And this finally evolved uh, around 2009 when the world economy went into the toilet. I had a couple of years in rethinking the company because in 2009, Ergo had to be put to sleep because all of our manufacturers had filed bankruptcy. So I had this creative time to think and finally conceived our new brushes with silicone handles and longer barrels because blow drying is singly the most fatiguing aspect of hairdressing. So, so throughout all your products, does that kind of thinking goes, goes into all your products? You know, how's it going to help? How's it going to affect? How's it going to benefit? Yeah, through observation in salons, we learn um, how people hold tools and we ask them, why did you do that? And why did you hold your hand like that? And what is it you're looking for? But the Ergo team now is the source of all of our inspiration to create something new. And it's from these inspirations that we, we develop a, an idea, we create a rendering of what it might look like, and then we produce a handmade sample of it to see if we're onto something new. In fact, we're onto something new now. We're developing some, some new tools and going through this process of solving a problem by creating a tool that has a different end result. And everything has to ascribe to being easier to use, more friendly to the hand and body, and develop, uh, delivering different, better results. I love the longer barrel. Yeah, I think the longer barrels are awesome. And like, it's so weird because you, uh, Robert created a market that I didn't know that we needed, right? Like, like when I, when, when you work with the longer barrels, you're like, oh man, where has this been my whole career? Right. Right. You know, so I, I love the longer barrels. I love that we can take a little bit bigger sections and take a little bit wider sections. Um, and I, you know what else I also like about Ergo and, and this sounds like a shop, but I promise you it's not, I like that it's a smaller, it's a smaller brand, you know? So, so you know that the innovation is going into the next great product, not just another product. Well, we, we introduce products when there is a purpose. So as I've often told our team, it's not our aspiration to be the biggest company in industry. We just want to be the most on purpose. Mm, on purpose. Most on purpose. And that's I, I what a true once, professional partner does. Yeah, I heard he once said, you know, he's in service to those who serve others. You know what I mean? So it, people who know, Corey and I and about the podcast and stuff and 
why we're doing what we're doing. And we love to connect with people who are kind of like-minded and, you know what I mean? It's easy for you if you wanted to try to be the biggest company, but, but, but he's not, you know what I mean? He's trying to be very purposeful in our industry, which is pretty amazing. All right. I know that I'm excited to ask you about a product that, that, that's on the market now, but you, you got to explain it. And Tony actually bought one. He hasn't had a chance to use one yet, but, but, but tell us about the, uh, about the, uh, the new uh, razor that you have. The hot razor yeah. was an, it was an inspiration to me around 1995. Now I didn't mention it, but in, 94, I had a serious accident while at a trade show. I uh, dislocated my hip, which led to um, what's called avascular necrosis, or my femur, the end of my femur collapsed. It died. Isn't that what happened to Bo Jackson? It is exactly the same type of accident. Wow. So I had to undergo uh, surgeries and rehabilitation for 10 years. And I had a hip replacement. Within one week, it dislocated five times. They had to go in, remove it, replace it with a new one, which developed its own set of bad circumstances because they used a cement to prevent me from dislocating and my white blood cells attacked and ate my pelvis. So I had to undergo series of surgeries. And every time they went into my hip, of course, there's considerable trauma. And I learned that the surgeons were using a heated scalpel. This heated scalpel would seal the blood vessels to help control bleeding. So when I heard about this, I started to think weirdly about the use of a razor. Because razors are typically used on hair that is wet because the hair fiber has to be softened. So as the razor is used, it doesn't feel like tearing or ripping. And everyone knows a razor leaves the ends very fragile, very elliptical, very pointed because the blade cuts at an angle and leaves the cortex or the inner workings of the hair exposed. And this is why oftentimes in the hands of a novice, a razor can contribute to frizziness. And in most instances, a razor isn't used on fine or curly hair because they would have the same attributes. So I started to think about the use of a heated razor and I was contacted by a company in Germany that came out to Valencia, California, which is where we're based. We had some discussions about creating a heated razor that could be used on dry hair. The advantage being that you cut hair the way it lived, which is dry, and the heated razors that cut through the hair would seal the cortex. So it would leave the ends of the hair with the same integrity as mid-shaft. So the advantage of the Ergo Hot Razor, which was substantiated in its performance through um, a relationship I had with Dr. Pat Furlong, who worked with me at Sassoon, who is now working at the University of Miami. He had access to a scanning electron microscope, 
a million dollar microscope that could magnify hair up to 10,000 times in amplification. And we were able to substantiate a pair of what hair looked like as it was cut dry with a pair of scissors, damp with a pair of scissors, dry with a razor, or damp with a razor. And the Ergo Hot Razor was able to cut through the hair effortlessly dry, leave the ends of the hair sealed to prevent frizziness. But you could also use it in a more traditional way of uh, using it on towel-dried hair. But the real advantage in the fun is being able to use the Ergo Hot Razor working through dry hair because it's literally like sculpting. It's, it's not what you uh, take off, it's what you leave. And it's the way you can sculpt hair just like you know, an artist, truly. So we learned through trial and error, it's target temperature of 350 degrees. I discovered a blade in Japan called the two-in-one blade, which is patented. It has twice the lifespan of any other blade in the world. And we have a very unique cutting tool that's great for blending, removing weight on dry hair. Wow. And, 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 he, he, and he was building all this in the process of 10 years going through uh, hip replacements, hip, uh, a, a major hip injury. I know, ruined his whole NFL career, right? <laughs> well, it, it did affect my dancing career a little bit. <laughs> and if you see me, you know, if you see me at a trade show, when we have trade shows again, you'll see I have uh, a little limp to me because uh, they weren't able to put it back together perfectly. But you know, the good fortune is I had a fantastic team who helped me overcome all of that adversity. And uh, it's as though that 10-year period, um, I didn't age at all during that 10-year period. It was just <laughs> a creative thinking time. But I, I did um, have a team around me that was able to help me sustain the business. That's awesome. That was fantastic. And truly, I, I am so excited to get in there and try my hot razor. Thank you. It was also an inspirational time because that's when I started to think about other tools like dryers which were now um, hair dryer, everyone owns them, but almost everyone disposes of them. So we, we started to think about all of the waste we could help prevent by making tools like the Ergo hair dryer in a way that was kind of like the latest in technology for sure, with the built-in ionic generator and, and you know super airflow, but old time thinking about how we fix things. So we specified our dryer, which is made in Italy for us, to be made of individually replaceable parts. Now, this is the old thinking, is that we don't throw things away, we replace them. So every ergo dryer is made of these individually replaceable parts, and the technicians know when these parts were made. So when a dryer goes in for service, it's totally disassembled and every part which requires replacement because it's reached the end of its lifespan is pulled out and new parts are put back in. It's reassembled and tested, cosmetically cleaned just like new, including labels and cord upgrades automatically, and sent back working and looking exactly as new out of the box. This is our first step toward renewable tools. Much like... I... You know, I had no idea about that. You guys need to talk more about that, Robert. 
now yeah, yeah, you definitely have to talk more about that because I had no idea that 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 that, that that's what it is. I mean, you know, when we saw when we saw the uh, we you know saw the pamphlet with the dryer on it. I mean, you know, immediately, uh, you know, your head just goes to oh, another blow dryer, you know. But I had no idea that that's what it was, and and that's actually that's pretty genius. And it goes back to uh, back to your Hikari days and 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 creating something to work perfectly again, right? Right. Like, like it's re, like like it's a brand new dryer. That is absolutely brilliant that's worth supporting just because you're uh, uh protecting the environment right protecting uh it's less waste and it's i mean it's, it, you're right it's brilliant we just robert we just moved um last year and and i uh i think i threw away 10 dryers that i've just had in a closet you know hoping to get them fixed one day um uh you know in a closet when we moved and they all ended up they all ended up together now in they're the in a landfill. Exactly. We used to have a um, we used to have a small, uh, a small like electronics uh, repair shop uh, local to us, and they, he would come by, you know, a couple times a year, and he would pick up dryers and um, and he would fix them and bring them back. But the fact that you're doing that as a company is absolutely brilliant. So, so what's the average like rehab cost for a dryer? Because I think it comes down to that too, right? Firstly, I want to pay homage to uh, Horst Rechelbacher who stimulated this conversation with me. We were gonna start a new company called Greener Pastures to create renewable tools. Unfortunately, uh, the attorneys for both companies prevented us from developing this partnership, but uh, the inspiration lived on to be able to do this, which is why our dryer is constructed in this manner now. Since the dryer is made of parts that are individually replaced, replaceable. Uh, there's no charge for the labor or the parts during the first year of ownership. Uh, if anything should happen, even if the dryer gets dropped and the housing cracks, that's all replaceable too. Um, although that's not covered in the warranty, uh, a housing might be $15 to replace it. But during the first year, people just send in their proof of purchase to our service center at the uh, we contract with the Turbo Power Company in New York. They do a phenomenal job. And um, after the one-year warranty is over, it costs $39 to have your dryer totally renewed, exactly as out of the box, including UPS return. So the answer is first year, no charge. You know, I can't forecast the future, but currently the service renewal charge is $39 and it's exactly like getting a new dryer. You can see testimonials on our website. That's awesome. Hey, so does a $39, does that, does that cover shipping to and from or just from? Return, includes okay. the service in return. So someone would send their dryer in. We always recommend them sending in by trackable service like priority mail or UPS uh, and insuring it. But the service turnaround time is about 72 hours within the service center, maybe a little bit longer, and gets returned back out to the user. Generally, the turnaround time, one could plan about 14 working days, and it comes back exactly as new. And that's the transit time, too, the service time, and the return time. That is incredible. That's brilliant. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm so impressed by that. Me, too. I kind of want to dry her now. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for my old dryer to blow up again. <laughs> and, then, and then my next dryer will be, will be the Ergo dryer. That's so cool. Yeah. 
And by the way, I'm pleased that we have a strong following in eco-conscious salons. And you know, many of the Aveda institutes are including our tools like our dryer in their kit because of their commitment to the environment. I love that. We need to get you, we need to get ergo dryers in more hair schools because that sounds like a career purchase, you know? And of course you can expect it's perfectly balanced. So it fits in the hand and has balances though. It's gyroscopic or weightless. It's fantastic. Gosh, I can't wait to get back to the trade shows. I got to go back online and order me a dryer. (laughs) (laughs) I just got my hot (laughs) razor. You definitely do. Mr. Robert, dude, thank you so much. Where, where, um, if if people want to get in touch with you or get in touch with Ergo or something, what's that? What, how do they do that? Well, through Instagram, uh, it is at Ergo Styling Tools. Our website is askergo.com. We have a new professional only store. Um, which requires credentials to create an account to help us maintain our integrity as a true professional partner. It's also, uh, our store is shop.askergo.com. Shop.askergo.com. And all of our information and accessibility to our team is right there. That's awesome. Robert, thank you so much. Thanks for hanging out with us for that we're actually at like an hour and 15 minutes, but you know, thank, thanks for uh, hanging out I, with us. And I'm really wasn't even done. I mean, we could have probably sat here for another hour. Easy. Yeah. Easily. Easy. Well, that just means we got to, we need a round two. I think that's all that means. All right. You know? Yeah. Cause there's other things that I want to get into, but we didn't get into but next time. Next, you well, know, what, next time we'll just do it. We'll just do it as a Q and a, you'll just like pound them with questions and he can answer them. There you go. <laughs> I want to thank you because uh, an inspiring conversation is as stimulating as a pot of espresso. So I'm full of excitement for our next conversation. So are we. This is really, really exciting. Well, I hate to do it, but we got to do it. Mr. Robert Reed, thank you very, very much for joining us on your day off. Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find, actually you can, you can find their music on um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease. <laughs>